From Pod News, welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's Thursday, the 6th of October, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of Pod News. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio. Hi, I'm Sky Pillsbury, and I'll be on later to talk about why I started a newsletter called The Squeeze about the podcast industry. She will. Podland is sponsored by Squadcast. We use the latest Squadcast version 5 to remotely record this episode. Sam's in the UK and I'm in Australia. And we're sponsored and hosted by Buzzsprout. Last week, 3,506 people started a podcast with Buzzsprout. And now there's Buzzsprout ads to grow your podcast wherever it's hosted. Yes, Podland is our weekly review where Sam and I review the week's top podcasting stories covered on Pod News. You've had a busy week uh, in mm. Sydney, I think. Uh, you had Podcast Day 24. It was a busy day. How did it all go? Yeah, no, it was. It was a very busy day at the Maritime Museum in Sydney on Darling Harbour. And uh, yes, uh, lots of stuff there. Um, We kicked off with uh, more data from the Australian podcast ranker, which is always interesting to have a look at. It's uh, 750 million downloads go into that thing. So therefore, it does pretty well in terms of numbers. Apple Podcasts still number one, 46% of all downloads. Spotify, 19%. Obviously, Spotify does cash some shows, but not necessarily uh, the ones in the Australian podcast ranker. So interesting to see. Um, and a ton of other data. It's just a really, uh, a really fun day with lots of people from the industry getting together. Um, uh, you know, there was some great uh, speakers. Siobhan McHugh was there talking about how to make a great narrative podcast. Tony and Ryan, um, Spotify's big uh, signing, they were there. What was really interesting is there was um, Michelle Laurie, uh, who does the Australian True Crime podcast. She was there saying, you know, I come from radio. I deliberately don't do any um, any working on my show before I'm recording it. You know, I don't do any research. Everybody has to hear stuff as I hear it, because that's the authentic way that radio has worked. And that's the authentic way that this podcast will work. Tony and Ryan, completely different. Tony and Ryan came from this from a radio production background. And they were saying, we need to plan everything. You need to know when you're listening to this show, you need to know that someone else is driving for you and you can just relax. Uh, And somebody else is steering the car and you can just relax and listen and you know what's going to happen and you know in what order it's going to happen. Really fascinating um, uh, conversations. So, um, yeah, super uh, enjoyable day. Half of it, of course, in Sydney, the other half in London. And and if you bought uh, tickets, you can watch uh, both of those on demand as well. I haven't yet watched any of the stuff out of London, but I'm sure that it was very good too. So um, yeah, it was a good day. Well done. Congratulations to you and Matlin. Moving on, um, I had the pleasure of interviewing this week Sky Pillsbury. She started a newsletter, James, called The Squeeze. Don't know if you've had a look at it. I have indeed, yes. I've linked to it uh, a number of times. I think what's really nice is being able to have a look at uh, long-form reporting as Sky is doing. It's not a pod news. It's not trying to, you know, um, um, condense everything into um, uh, everything that's happened in the industry. It's focusing on one big 
story, looking at it from an investigative side and uh, seeing how that works. So, yeah, I've been very much enjoying that. So we, we've had a, a, a long interview with Sky and we're going to split that into two. So you're going to get a bit now. And if you want to hear the rest of it, it'll be at the end of this podcast. We started off by talking to Sky about why she started the newsletter, how she plans to monetize it and why she didn't start with a podcast. I have hosted a podcast in the past and I loved it. It was a labor of love for me. I interviewed podcasters about their craft. It was called Inside Podcasting and it was a huge amount of work. And so shouts out there to everyone who produces a podcast, even if it's an interview podcast, it is a gigantic amount of work. And for me, I felt a sense of urgency and wanting to just write, wanting to tell stories more quickly. And so that was one of the reasons that I started a newsletter, because I can write something one week and it's out there right away. That doesn't take away from the joy that you get in building a podcast, but writing to me as a journalist, an easier way to get my message out there. If anyone who's listening to this wants to produce a podcast for me <laughs> about the news or about what I've written, I'd be happy to do that. But I do love the written word, and it's sort of like where I started in this industry. So let me talk about why I've started The Squeeze specifically, and then maybe I can mm, go back and exactly. talk about what I did leading up to that. I started The Squeeze because, frankly, it was the newsletter that I wanted to read. I wanted to go behind the scenes of the podcast industry and find out what was underneath all of the headlines, right? There's James Cridlin, for example, writes Pod News, and he does a great job of letting the industry know what is happening in the news. But I wanted to do something slightly different. For one thing, I didn't want to compete with James. But also, I wanted to just from my own curiosity and my own sort of journalistic spirit, I wanted to go behind those headlines and find out how those headlines were impacting the people who actually work in podcasting. So if a company has right. acquired another company, what does that actually mean for the companies who work at the company who have been acquired? Or what are other reasons that people would make the decision to release a particular type of podcast at this very moment. There were so many little stories that I was curious about as I would read the news that I felt like that was something that I had the skill and certainly the passion and curiosity around to make happen. So that was really the reason behind starting The Squeeze. I would also say writing The Squeeze, it's an independent effort. And so I wasn't going to be tied to any larger organization that would hem me in from covering the kinds of stories that I wanted to cover. And that seemed like an opportunity as well to be able to speak, in a sense, more freely about what are the real issues that I see in podcasting? What are systemic issues? Or just having the freedom to actually criticize the things about the industry that I saw that weren't going well. I think that there is this instinct among people who work in this industry to cheer the industry on. And of course, that is important, right? We're still a relatively new industry, even if people have been podcasting for over 20 years, and we're still new. And so we want to cheer ourselves on. We want to establish that we are credible. We want to be taken seriously. But at the same time, 
I think that a lot of us see that in some cases we're repeating the same mistakes that other mediums have made and or that other people, I should say, in organizations that produce media have made. And I feel like it is important for us to be critical in order to become a better industry. And so I also began the squeeze because I wanted to have the freedom to do just that. So the other reason is, and just going back to some of the work that I've done previously. So, you know, I started in this industry as a writer. I was hired by Inside.com to write Inside Podcasting, which was great. I basically got paid to learn about the industry very, very quickly because that was a daily newsletter sort of curating the news. Eventually, I left that job after having done it for a few years and also after having started Inside Podcasting, the podcast in which I would interview podcast creators, which I loved doing, but was you know, a lot of work, an exhausting thing to do, especially once the pandemic hit, right? So when the pandemic hit, I was finishing up the second season of the podcast. I was still writing this newsletter and my kids came home and I have a child who has learning differences and I really needed to be home with her. So I ended up quitting for a time. For about six months, I didn't do any work at all, but I really missed it. I was still super passionate about the industry. I was still keeping myself up to date by reading various newsletters and reading various stories. Certain publications were starting to write longer form stories about podcasting at that time. And I wanted to be part of that. And so I ended up speaking with Nick Kwa maybe in February or so of 2021. He was looking for writers to provide content for Hot Pod. And I had a number of stories I was really interested in writing. And he was great. He was very supportive of any story that I had passion around. And that ended up being a great gig for me. Because as I said, he was very supportive. He was also a great editor. As a writer, it's so easy to get into our own headspace. And That is something that even today I miss is having someone who would look at my work and who I could bounce ideas off of. So I wrote a number of stories for him in 2021, longer form stories looking at patterns within podcasting and also, as I mentioned before, systemic issues within the industry. And then that gig went away when Hot Pod was acquired by The Verge. And so then I've been sort of batting around the idea in my own mind of writing my own newsletter for years. And literally, since I started working at Inside Podcasting, it had been something I'd been thinking about. And it was sort of like, okay, this is your chance to prove that you can do it. And so I finally did it. And not until a couple of months ago, but I've been producing issues, I think, since July. And I feel like the response has been positive. It has. I'm one of your readers. so But Again, what I'd ask is you start these things and you chose Substack to go down the route of creating your newsletter. Is that the monetization route? Is monetization important even to you? Is it a case of I want to get my voice out and Substack was the quick and easiest way to do it? Or was it I want to get my voice out and I want to be paid for it and therefore Substack was the platform for me? I'll be honest. When I started The Squeeze, it had nothing to do with monetization when I decided to use Substack as a platform. In fact, 
you know, I went to my husband. I'm in a fortunate enough position that I was able to go to my husband as my partner in life and say, mm-hmm. I want to do this thing. Uh, of course, I would eventually like to be paid and I'll get back to that. But my number one priority right now is getting my voice out there. And there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for people who do what I do to actually make money right now. That's one of the problems Mm -hmm. I see in the industry is that there aren't a whole lot of people who are writing about this for money. There's someone at the New York Times who has written a number of articles. Qua is now at The Vulture, but he's doing mostly podcast criticism. The opportunities are far and few between. And so I really saw it as this is an opportunity to get my voice out there, to establish trust and credibility with a potential audience. And if I'm able to be successful in that, then there will be a way for me to be compensated for my work at some point. But what I told my husband at the time was, I'm probably going to do this for a while without making any money. And are we as a family okay with that? And we decided together that I could afford to do this without making money initially because I'm a big believer that if I can be really passionate and prove myself, hopefully there will be a way to make money. And actually, I'm pleased to say that a number of advertisers have actually already approached me Nice. However, that is good. good. (laughs) It is good. I'm not sure that going down the advertiser route is the right one for the squeeze because I want to keep it independent. As I said, I don't necessarily want to be hemmed in by having any other organization have a stake in what I write. And Even if I'm not going to write about those advertisers, because I don't have a separate advertising department that would be selling to them, it's very hard for me to say, okay, there's this wall that I'm going to put up in my brain between who I'm taking money from and who I'm going to be writing about. I would be lying if I said there wasn't any consideration that comes with that. So I still haven't decided outright that I won't work with advertisers. As they say, never say never. But it hasn't struck me, at least at this stage, as necessarily something that's in line with my brand as the squeeze. My brand is independent, maverick, can say what she wants, no bullshit. Am I allowed to swear? You are, well, too late now. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to beep that out. So that's my brand. So I'd rather not have to go down that route. On the other hand, I am also aware that a lot of my readers are not people with a whole lot of disposable income. They're independent podcasters. They're maybe making a podcast because they're passionate about it. Maybe they aren't even interested in monetizing or they haven't faced that themselves. And so... I also would love to think, and this has been and is still my plan, to keep that Thursday issue free to my readers. If I were to try and monetize it, I would try to find a way to provide my readers with a different kind of value, either a separate issue on a different day I've thought about other things because doing a separate issue on another day also requires more work on my part. And to be honest, getting this thing out once a week, especially when I'm doing a reported issue and not just an interview, it's a lot. Like even the issue that I am supposed to release tomorrow, 
I'm honestly at this stage not even sure that it's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of steps when you're reporting on something. You have to give the person or the organization that you're reporting on time to weigh in, to share their own perspective. All of these different steps take time. And so I'm not confident that I could produce a second issue every week. So is there something else I could do? Could I create a discussion channel or something else, some other kind of benefit? This is one of these funny things that James and I talk about some fairly technical elements of the podcasting world within Podland. Mm -hmm. And we do worry that we sometimes lose the audience in our geek out that we have. And one of those geeky things that's currently going around between a very few people, I suppose, but it's growing, is value for value. And the idea of a payment of value on micropayments using Satoshis, which is the Bitcoin mm-hmm. micropayment system. And it's really interesting looking at somebody like yourself. You're talking about, I'm going to put out an episode, but I have to add extra value. So I'm going to put out a secondary mm-hmm. one, right? But that primary one has value. Right. And so in, in some ways, there's a company called Olby, which has a WordPress plugin. I, again, this may not be something you want to do, but it, it was just going through my mind as you're talking that you could through yourself or through a third party, create a WordPress site with this paywall, Mm -hmm. for want of a better word. But the paywall doesn't predetermine the price. The price is predetermined by the reader in your case, or in our case as a podcaster, the listener. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we do on Podland, we get these things called boostergrams, which are comments that are paid for with Satoshis, right? Mm. And the idea is that if you've enjoyed... Podland, and you think we've added value, and you want to thumb us up or give us a heart, well, don't. Give us some sats instead. Send us some micropayment. And I wonder whether that is something that you may want to look at instead of a second edition, a primary edition that has value for value enabled. Yeah, it's so interesting because there are such parallels with what people are thinking about in podcasting right now in terms of getting paid for their work. I... uh, In addition to having advertisers reach out to me, I've actually had readers reach out also and say, how can I support your work? And so far, I've just written back to those people and said, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me to know that what I'm providing has value. I don't right now have a way for you to support me, but I'm thinking about it. And I have thought about these different sort of models where I could get paid maybe even per issue or whatever by people who feel like this particular issue did provide value. Substack does actually provide a way for people to support you without necessarily, you know, creating a paywall. So you could actually, if I turn this functionality on, you could come to Substack and you could actually pay me through Substack even without the production of a second issue. But I think it is required that it would have to be $5 and it would have to be like a subscription model. So the reason why I chose Substack, I'll be honest, was not even because of the monetization capabilities. It was because of the platforms that I looked at, I felt that it had the easiest format structure. For me, it was all about design and format. I will admit that I had some misgivings, like just the way I think a lot of people do about various platforms these days, right? Like, I am very aware that there are people on this platform whose values do not align with mine. And so I actually had some misgivings, not because so much like, what is monetization going to do for me on this platform? Does that work with the way that I want to eventually make money for my work? But more about, is this the right platform? 
ultimately, I decided that it was really important to me to just be able to, at the moment I say go, and Substack's platform was easy, but it was also, from a design perspective, elegant. Like, I just knew that I could just write it and get it out there right away, and that it would look good, quite frankly. But looking back, I don't know, did I make the right decision? I, I could always move it to a different platform. I guess I'm just not at the stage yet where I'm ready to start thinking about monetization and all these other advantages I might have elsewhere. I'm in that stage where I'm still trying to build trust with my readers and prove that I'm a credible source for them that they can take seriously. But I do think eventually I will have to think about that. I can't do this forever and not be compensated for my work forever. I want to be sensitive and I want to be thoughtful. Sky Pillsbury and part two of this interview around the role of women in podcasting is uh, later. If you have chapters on your podcast app, as you do in things like uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, in other places, uh, then you can go and find that right now. The other part of the interview was also a conversation, James, about because uh, we are uh, or I am old enough and Sky remembers uh, Web 1.0 and how so many startups were bought and and basically, for example, Microsoft would buy a whole bunch of startups and then you'd never hear or see anything of that startup again. And it mm. does feel like a little bit of that is going on with podcasting today. So we had that conversation about comparing. I mean, a good example is Anchor. Mike Magnano has done his three years. The golden handcuffs are off. He's off mm -hmm. to VC land. Um Anchor feels like it's been left to die in the vine now within Spotify. I mean, you report this week that it continues to lose market share within Spotify. Um, what do you think? Is that is that a fair comparison? I think possibly. I think, you know, clearly from Spotify's point of view, they see real opportunities in Megaphone. Um, they see opportunities in the Spotify advertising network. And Anchor doesn't necessarily seem to fit into that quite now. Maybe they will again. Maybe there are opportunities there. Um, I think part of that is around uh, brand safety and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, they are currently seemingly posting the lowest ever figure for a share of all new podcast episodes. Um, and, um, you, you know, one wonders whether Anchor is a bit being uh, glossed over by uh, Spotify now. I read something that uh, actually Alban Brook from Buzzsprout uh, shared on Twitter, which was um, about Google and why Google keeps on cancelling things. Um, and that and that apparently is all to do with uh, internal promotion at Google, that actually you get far more promotional juice for your own career if you launch something than if you just make something better. So you'll never find a, an amazing engineer at Google who just makes Gmail better. You will find an amazing uh, engineer at Google who is launching a brand new thing. So that's why Google appears to launch so many things and then just don't care about them because once it's launched, then where's the career benefit for me to stay in that particular app or you know service? And I thought that, that was interesting too. And I wonder whether that's a little bit of um, Anchor's thing as well in terms of uh, Spotify too. Talking of Spotify, Ashley Carmen reports that five editorial people from the podcast team were laid off this week. Again, mm. it just feels like maybe they're doing the big shake-up. I always go, who runs podcasting in, in Spotify? Never know the answer to that question. But maybe they are now beginning to shake it down 
Uh, well, I think this is going on everywhere. So, yeah, you know, w- whether you have a look at Spotify, um, who are saving uh, some of their headcount, whether you have a look, of, of course, at Acast that we talked about uh, last week, who are saving uh, headcount. And by the way, those people who are going from Acast are going this week. Um, so, you know, and I know a few of them. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very... Um, sad to see some good people leaving the industry, although hopefully not for long. Um, and of course, uh, over at uh, Odyssey, um, which uh, a large company that used to be called Entercom, they own Pineapple Street Studios, but also own Cadence 13. Apparently, they are now wanting to sell Cadence 13. They think they can get $100 million for it. Um, although Odyssey say this is just a rumor. If they don't raise their stock price, um, they need to double it or more than double it by the end of February. And if they don't, then basically the New York Stock Exchange delists the company. Um, I said could in um, in the Pod News newsletter. Um, but uh, Adam Curry tells me, no, it's not could, it's will. Um, it's, mm. those, those are the rules. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, interesting times, you know, clearly as we go into a recession, and I don't think that anybody is really saying that we're not going into a recession, but clearly as we go into a recession, profitability is going to be more important than, you know, future growth. And I think that uh, companies are going to be focusing a little bit more on short-term um, profitability. So, um, yeah, so I'm sure that we'll see more of that. And um, seeing people leave uh, Spotify's podcast editorial team is probably exactly that talk about people laying off um do you want liz truss over down there because you know we don't want her anymore (laughs) well yes that's the uk prime minister for anybody that's listening and you don't know and if you don't know well congratulations you can pat yourself on the back for that it's a probably a good thing um but yes it's not uh it's not it's not it's not looking good over there (laughs) No. Um, have you got a spare room? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, Moving on. Yes. Moving on swiftly. Um, a little story that I saw you wrote about, um, Cara Swisher, who's got her new podcast on, um, and she's already had Hillary Clinton and a few other lovies. Um, but Cara Swisher, her new podcast is going great guns um her old podcast which was at the new york times called sway um she's not happy because they've taken the rss and repurposed it and to use a new tech show called hard fork um and cara is very annoyed that they've taken that audience and who are subscribed to the rss question james should podcasters now in all contracts say they will take their rss feed with them uh, I'm going to be very controversial here and say, no, Cara, Ooh. if you want to leave the New York Times, um, then you have no rights over what the New York Times ends up doing with your um, with your stuff after you, you, you leave. Um, uh, you know, a Pineapple Street Studios, which is owned by Odyssey, more than three quarters of the staff have signed up to join the WGAE Union, which is the Writers Guild of America East. And one of the things that they will, will be talking about is staff retaining IP of their shows Uh, and to my point at the end of all of this if you want to retain the ip to your shows then don't work for a large company 
uh, when you work for a large company, they take the risk. They pay you a salary every single month. Um, they take the risk of whether or not they can go out and sell it and make and make profit out of it. If they can't make any profit out of it, then that's their risk that they have taken on. You don't get to own the IP as well. That's what happens when you join a large company. So now I think, uh, you know, Cara Swisher, I mean, bless, she might be upset that Hard Fork, which is a tech show, has taken over her former podcast Sway, which was a tech show. But at the end of the day, good business from the New York Times to start that show going with a decent audience. Um, uh, and it's entirely within the New York Times's purview. If you don't want another company having your own personal IP, then don't join the company and learn how to um, take, take the risk alongside every, everybody else. So um, now I'm, I'm not... Um I'm not. I'm not up for that, Sam. Am I being overly? <laughs> am I being no, overly I, unfair? Do you think? No. As an entrepreneur, I'm. I'm sometimes saddened and annoyed when people join your company. As the owner and the entrepreneur, you work damn hard. You don't sleep a lot, and you're worried most of the time how to grow your company. And people just simply come in, use your stuff. If it works, great. They'll stick around. If it doesn't, they walk off. Um, and. I guess, yeah, you, what you're saying is, look, the New York Times took the risk that Cara's podcast would take off. If it hadn't, Cara would have walked and gone somewhere else, as she has done in, in numerous times, right? She's gone back to Vox Media, then she's come back again. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I guess I don't disagree with you, James. I mean, we've seen it before with the BBC, with Top Gear, Peter Crouch and the other ones. I guess the secret, though, is like with Simon Mayo and Peter Crouch is stick your name in the podcast and then they can't really do much with it. Yes, well, there is that. And of course, that then uh, artificially makes it your IP, even if you don't actually own the IP in it. Um, mm. So I think that that's certainly worthwhile having a look at. But you will notice, of course, that the... You know, even those people, uh, even uh, Peter Crouch, for example, didn't get to keep his RSS feed. Um, so, uh, you know, again, that's, uh, I think, interesting. I can completely see from the point of view of a creator that if you come up with a good idea while you're working for a company, then you think you have uh, dibs over that good idea. But the reality is, no, you don't. Uh, and the reality is that's what the company has taken the punt on. Um, and, I, and I'm sorry that it's that way, but it is that way. So <laughs> so there we go. Exactly. Uh, moving on, uh, the winners of the International Women's Podcast Awards were announced this week. Uh, James, what was the uh, big highlight? Well, you know, it, it happened in uh, the UK. Uh, it was hosted at The Conduit, which is a very fancy old place. And um, yeah, it was one of those interesting awards that ended up, um, you know, everything was sponsored, which was very clever and everything. Um, what I found interesting was that um, all of the award categories were quite sort of strange award categories. So there was the Blueberry moment of dramatic tension. There was the Captivate FM moment of entrepreneurial inspiration. And there was the Amazon Music and Wondery moment of comedy gold. 
uh, and these were, you know, some of the um, of of the uh, titles of the um, of the categories that you could have uh, won. So, yeah, interesting to see. You know, it's not quite the same as you know the winner for best branded podcast is, uh, <laughs> you know, etc. etc. It was very much all around moments, the moment of visionary leadership. Um, so, uh, yeah, an, uh, an interesting set of uh, winners, and we link to them from the Pod News website. Congrats. Congratulations to all of them. Spotify, let's go back to them. Uh, Spotify released a fan study for podcast creators, fans who follow or AKA subscribe now, as we should say, your podcast will listen to four times more episodes of those than those who don't. Um, so is that an obvious uh, thing, James? I, it seems obvious that if you follow something, you're probably more likely to listen to more episodes. Don't know why you yeah, have to have I think, a report. I think it's I think it's obvious, but we never get that data. And I think this is Spotify. It's interesting timing for Spotify because this came a week after, or uh, even less time after iHeart were caught red-handed buying podcast plays um, through that those games apps. If you remember last week. Um, and what Spotify has basically put out here is just a reminder that, hello, we're Spotify and we've got consumption data, not just download data, but proper consumption data from our platform for absolutely every one of the podcasts which are available there. Uh, and I thought it was very canny from Spotify to release this, um, you know, as close to the iHeart revelations, um, you know, as it was. Um, particularly, you know, some of the data, for example, that it showed, again, data that only companies like Spotify that own the players can actually share. Things like how, um, you know, which podcast category has the highest completion rate. And it turned out that true crime and fiction have the highest completion rate. Tech shows, probably like this one, have the lowest completion rate. Brilliant. At around 72%. Um, so, oh, well, you know. No one's listening now, James. Let's go home <laughs> <laughs> we support we support chapters so we don't care but i think you right. know that that was a really um good piece of of research um the timing i think very unfortunate around the iheart um uh you know re revelations and so on um but you know great to see that uh, data and it's really handy data and if apple were uh, clever apple could release something that was like this but even more detailed detail because Apple have all of this information as well. But obviously, that would be a uh, difficult conversation inside uh, Apple to release this this uh, this uh, sort of stuff. But no, I thought it was a great piece of uh, data from uh, Spotify and well worth having a look into. Well, again, we'll have a link in the show notes. But also, Nick Hilton, friend of the show, did a very good piece. He digs deep into the Spotify research. And uh, again, we'll put a link to that as well. He did indeed. <laughs> Now, moving on, uh, in tech stuff this week, and I'm pretty sure we did it last week, but if we didn't, we should do, because my head is blurred. Uh, Transistor is now supporting host and guest credits, which means that Transistor supports the person tag, James, which is great news. Yeah, which is great news. And Dave Jones was on the New Media Show last week, which is really good. Mm. If you don't know much about the Podcast Index and the podcast, uh, the new podcast namespace, um, then you should definitely have a listen because uh, he does a great job. He's so, so clear at explaining things. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, that was really good. And one of the things that Dave was talking about in that show last week is he was surprised that the podcast person tag has not had more podcast hosts supporting it. And um, great to see Transistor now uh, supporting it um, in terms of host and guest credits, at least. Um, and uh, that uh, tag they join uh, Captivate, I think, support it as well as um, as well as Buzzsprout, our sponsor, and uh, a number of others as well. Um, so great to see them um, uh, uh, doing that because I think it's one of those tags that should really succeed. Yeah, I mean, it's quite simple to implement as well, that that being the case. Um, the mm. other thing on that show, which I did listen to with Todd, it was quite funny how Todd has flipped 360 from where he was. You know, um, uh, I was listening back to when I was on his show, and he was, he was quite... Uh, I wouldn't say derisory, but dismissive, I think, of the podcast index and how he, he wasn't going to implement and spend developer time on implementing boosts and everything else. And now he's a complete advocate, which is wonderful to see. But mm. <clears throat> there's also phase six of the podcast index tags that are coming out. One of those is around playlists, which is quite interesting, um, which I thought was nice to see so that it's still evolving. Although it's a bit worrisome, as you just said, most people haven't started doing phase one or two yet. <laughs> so why yeah, run phase but, six? You know, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. But I think that uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing a ton of new ideas being thrown out there. The benefit is that it doesn't uh, necessarily matter if some of these ideas crash and burn. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, there, there is... There's a very techie one, which is likely to be called podcast.txt or podcast colon txt. And um, what that will enable you to do is it will enable you to um, prove that this is your podcast in a variety of different uh, ways and and, and uh, means. Um, that's going to be a really, really interesting uh, uh, tag. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Still more work going into those tags. And some of these tags will be a great success. And some of these tags will crash and burn and i don't think that that's a problem really no now uh benjamin bellamy another friend of the show who is the uh developer of castapod um congratulations to him they've added support for premium podcasts and he was also the number one story in hacker news as well on y combinator so congratulations to him for that yeah, indeed. Uh, Twitter is also rolling out their podcast interface for Twitter Blue users on Android. Um, they rolled it out for iOS users a couple of uh, weeks ago, and now it's coming out on Android as well. If you're lucky enough to live in one of the four countries that has Twitter Blue, and you're silly enough to pay um, the owners of uh, Twitter, which is very shortly to be that that lovely man, Elon <laughs> Musk. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, rolling out. So that will be interesting to uh, have a play with. Also, version 0.5.1 of Fountain uh, is uh, out, uh, which includes exciting things like uh, Apple CarPlay. Uh, they are currently working on Android Auto. In fact, I've got the beta version of uh, Fountain on Android, and that appears to have some uh, Android Auto functionality in there. Uh, there's OPML import. There's an autoplay queue and all kinds of other things in there as well. Um, so uh, a bunch of work uh, is uh, going on there. I'm an advisor for Fountain. Uh, so um, yeah, lots of uh, movement in that world. <laughs> Can I just say, I feel like I'm an unpaid advisor for Fountain because uh, I was feeding back on the Apple CarPlay, but there you go. 
<laughs> well, well, I've yet, I've yet to have my first advisor call. So, uh, all right, so, okay. So, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going on there? Uh, now, uh, this is this is where I, I defer to you because this is where you go deep into the uh, bull rushes uh, to improve the open Oporg user agent list. PodNews has produced a live tool that uses data to give the apps used for 1,000 OP3 audio requests. Translate that, James, please. <laughs> right. Well, so OP3, uh, which is a thing that we spoke to John Spurlock about on the last episode of Podland. It's basically an open log file at the moment, and it shows you a ton of uh, downloads of lots of um, popular podcasts. No Agenda is in there. Podcasting 2.0 is in there. The Pod News Daily podcast is in there and so on and so forth. Um, and what I thought would be interesting is to take that data, to take the uh, the request data that we can see um, and have a look at um, the user agents. So the apps that are downloading these particular podcasts or the, that are requesting these particular podcasts. So what I've done is I've um, uh, written a script that live uh, grabs the latest downloads from OP3. Three, uh, and also uses the open user agent list, which is available on GitHub, um, to do that bit of matching. So um, I uh, just uh, loaded that page two minutes ago, and I can tell you that Apple Podcasts is in the lead um, with uh, 27% of all downloads. Google Podcasts is at number two at the moment, um, with Podcast Addict at number three. Um, so uh, you have to be careful with this because this is um, this is uh, not necessarily all podcasts out there. It's just the podcasts which are in OP3, and um, and these figures change all the time because you're just taking a look at a thousand um, a thousand uh, audio requests, and in fact, quite a lot of those, eight hundred and forty of those, uh, wouldn't count as a download under the IAB guidelines. So. Um, yeah, so there's uh, quite a lot that is uh, thrown away there, but really interesting to have a look at. And the benefit of this working live is that it means that um, the user agent list can be kept even more up to date because you can actually spot new podcast apps as they come in and be able to work out, you know, exactly what's actually going on. So I notice in the uh, unknown players list, there's something called Podio, um, which uh, I should go and find out what that is. And there's also something called Gumball.fm Analytics Prefix Checker, uh, which has uh, downloaded a piece of audio. Not quite sure what that thing is, uh, but again, it's worthwhile going and um, and uh, having a play with that. And if that's a bot, which I suspect it is, then um, to add that to the bot list. So, um, so anyway, so that's Ooh. what I've been doing there then. Well, I'm now... All the clearer for that. Thank you. <laughs> You're a very good liar. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that all again, please? It might take me three times to, before I understand it. Now, uh, Saturn from Albi. We've talked about this before. It's their new... Uh, beta dashboard to show you uh, what boostograms you've received and what satoshis you're getting it now shows complete boost amounts so you can thank people for a rush boost for example so congratulations to the guys over at Olby. i'm just looking at it now i find it more fascinating because I'm, I'm not a big user of castomatic um but that for for me when i look at my dashboard is the number one app that listeners use to pay boostograms 
for me. Yes, Curiocaster is number one for me, and um, Fountain number three, Podcast Index itself number four, because of course you can boost from the Podcast Index website, and Podverse number five. So yeah, it, it's it's nice to see just a good range of different um, apps and things being used there. Boostagram Corner. Thank you to the OLD podcast, Optimal Living Daily podcast. Uh, Justin, who has sent a double one, double one uh, boost. James did an impression. I think this was my impression of Todd Cochran. Get your own dot com. That's right, Todd. Uh, so uh, he said, James did an impression equals boost. Excellent. So do I have to do that every single week? Uh, I don't know. But uh, still, thank you. That's uh, kind of you, Justin. Talking of Rob, the, when you did the impression, uh, good luck to his new podcast as well that he's just launched. So uh, yeah, check it out. Um, well done, Rob. Yes, indeed. Um, Kyrin uh, sent us double two, double two sats, a big row of ducks or all the ducks or a, a, a medium sized row of ducks. I don't know. But anyway, he points out Podsage was my invention. Ah, we said last week that we had come up with the name Podsage for Dave Jones. Um, but uh, Kyrin is uh, putting us uh, right and quite correctly, too. Um, it was actually Kyrin. Oh, well, there you go. Um I was going to look back, but I won't bother. I'm not that bothered. Um, whoever came up with it, <laughs> Dave loved it. Apparently we so were trying okay. to call Dave the pod bro. It's probably a good job, well, but that didn't, uh, <laughs> that didn't yeah, okay. happen. Well done, Karen. We'll let you have that one then, mate. Um, <laughs> over to you. Um, yes. Brian of London, uh, 1948 sats. Uh, do you have a license for those Monty Python jokes? No, we just have a memory. <laughs> That's all we have. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's all we've got. Are you here? Are you here for the two-minute argument or for the full half hour? Uh, Brian from <laughs> Top Tier Audio, a thousand sats using Customatic. Thank you. Appreciate the insights on potential ad arbitrage with the in-game ads. Sounds super creepy. It does, doesn't it? Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, and Dave Jones, a big rush boost. Uh, remember that Spotify. Uh, numbers are also sketchy since they consider only 20 milliseconds as a full play that allows auto playing of episodes that people almost immediately then skip to still count as a play knowing whether people are really listening and being transparent about those numbers are two different things i think being fair dave i think that they have a number for plays and a number for listens and one of those is 60 seconds and one of those is as you rightly say 20 milliseconds or so but yes i think that there are quite a lot of sketchy numbers in the podcast world and i think it would be good if we got rid of all of them now uh, i might need you to translate this but 1948 sats again from brian of london there must be a reason for that yes it's um, the, it, it's an israel uh, sats boost isn't it isn't it when israel was um uh, of course uh, something happened uh, in israel well, no. in 1948 <laughs> i'm going to find out while you read it Okay, well, I'll go 1947 is the India boost then. There you go. Um, but where does iHeart rank in Rome? Um, do they rank amongst the highest? What help, James, please? Yes, I, I don't understand uh, that uh, boost at all. Where does iHeart rank in Rome? And Rome is in capitals. Um, yes. So, yes, I don't know. And by the way, in case you wondered what Please happened help. In, in, in Israel in 1948, uh, then uh, Israel, Israel was created in 1948. That would explain that one. <laughs> so, Which is why. Yes. So there we go. I'll claim, uh, talk, I'll claim the 1947 sat them for India. Yes. Go. Well, and talking about 1947, um, uh, in uh, in Delhi, there's news around the world, is there not? 
There is indeed. It seems that HT Smartcast says it's achieved more than a hundred million podcast listens over the past year from more than 200 original podcast shows. Sounds like a big, good number. Sounds like they're doing okay, actually. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good number. I think that's the Hindustan Times. Um, I think that's the um, the podcast that would make company sense. behind that. And uh, yes, they seem to be doing uh, pretty well uh, in there. Uh, moving to Australia, SCA's Listener has announced an agreement to represent Stitcher and Sirius XM inventory in the country, which means that iHeart will not be number one for podcasts anymore, because Listener will almost double in size if you look at uh, monthly podcast reach um, because of this uh, deal with Stitcher and Sirius XM. So the days of iHeart being number one in, um, in Australia are now uh, over. Uh, so many congratulations to listener for doing that. Off to Spain now. Uh, AdWiz has signed an exclusive agreement with the Spanish broadcasting system SBS to sell audio ads in the USA. Again, yeah, sounds uh, very good. Lots of these um, deals are going on at the moment and interesting to see them all. Um, the UK, the BBC World Service, has announced more than 380 potential job cuts. So um, the BBC World Service uh, produces some of the largest podcasts in the world and some of the largest podcasts from the BBC. The concern is that part of those job cuts means that there will be fewer staff for or standalone programs, which are those ones that are probably turned into podcasts. The radio station is going to focus more on live news and live sport and become, um, you know, even more of a news channel than it currently is. Um, so that's probably bad news for podcasting overall. Uh, you have your excellent Conservative government to thank for that, um, which I know you're a big fan of. So um, I, I think yeah. you just spoke an oxymoron there, James. <laughs> well, excellent conservative government. Oh, there have been yes. excellent conservative governments before, but not um, not since the end of the coalition of chaos. That, of course, was right. not chaos. Anyway, let's uh, uh, drop the uh, the politics. Move on to Asia. <laughs> Yeah, uh, ACAST has published research on podcast listening in Asia. It was looking at Hong Kong, Singapore and Japan. And 90% of listeners finish all or most of the podcast episode and 70% say they uh, most focus when consuming podcasts rather than other media. Yeah, and this, I think, is uh, part of the really good stuff which is going on in the podcast landscape at the moment. Um, competing on content, yes, but collaborating on research, collaborating on information is really, really helpful. And so this data, the data that you heard earlier on from Spotify, all of this handy, useful information which will help all of us grow is really good. Uh, so many congratulations to Acast for putting that data together and uh, more data out of Canada as well, Signal Hill Insights, which is very difficult to say, and TPX have produced data from the Canadian podcast listener, uh, showing a 17% increase year on year in monthly listeners in Canada. Um, so Canada, I, the thing that I found fascinating in Canada is that there is so much listening to US podcasts in Canada. It's quite unreal. Um, but good to see that the amount of listening to podcasts is continuing to increase in that uh, large frozen country. 
Hmm. So not a regular feature here on uh, Podland, but a couple of celebrity bits of news that I noted. Um, Fresh Air Productions have announced that Fern Cotton's app is out, um, which is interesting that she's moved to a dedicated app of her own. I know that you think that dedicated radio apps aren't a good idea, James. Um, What do you think of a dedicated podcast app? Yeah, I think dedicated radio apps are great for your uh, fans, for your P1 listeners, as they're called in the radio industry, the um, the Priority One listeners. Um, and they're great for that, and they're useless for trying to get new listeners to your radio station. So uh, in radio parlance, they're good for hours, they're not very good for reach. Um, and in this case, you can see that the Fern Cotton app, if you're a fan of her podcast, which is called Happy Place... Um, if you're a fan of that podcast, if you're a fan of some of the meditation stuff that she does and you would like to um, hear more of that, then to have an app which um, apparently has 70 hours of audio, 220 mixes of soundscapes and meditations and sleep stories and music all available in that one app, um, I think that's a that's a clever plan. Um, so I think, you know, for something that will really appeal to the fans of that particular podcast, and it's been a pretty successful podcast, uh, then that's not a bad thing at all, really. Hmm. Moving on, uh, Kim Kardashian. Uh, yes, rolls eyes and goes, who? Um, she's launched <laughs> a new exclusive true crime podcast with Spotify. Um my daughter and I went up to see Liverpool versus Glasgow Rangers uh, in f- the football match. And on the way back, my daughter, who is a big Kardashian fan, said, let's listen to it. I think it lasted hmm, 15 minutes before we turned it off. It was dire. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, uh, I thought it was interesting because um, Kim Kardashian is actually studying to become a lawyer, apparently. Um, and so therefore should have a little bit more understanding of some of the nuances of the legal cases than um, some of the other celebrities. I thought it was also interesting that, you know, what the, what Spotify have basically done here is that they've grabbed a very big name and they've put her into a very big genre. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, uh, you know, it should be a surefire hit. Um, and I wonder whether or not it will be, but, uh, as you have so uh, carefully written in the notes and then highlighted it and then put it in header one text, it's rubbish. So, <laughs> so perhaps it's not necessarily the show that, uh, is going to be a big hit, but who knows? I'm not the target audience, but my daughter is the target audience. And she, even she thought it wasn't very um, interesting. But there you go. And uh, two other things going on in uh, the US. Um, there is a new telephone number for you if you want a podcast recommendation. The amount of people who are going to do this, are, I think I could probably count on one hand and still have a couple of fingers free. But still, there we are. If you live in the US or Canada, you can call the the pod line at 1-844-POD-AT-ME. 1-844-763-2863. Uh, it's a new service from Tink Media. Um, I think it's a very clever way of getting their name out there uh, i can't imagine that anybody's going to call it that that's not going going to stop me from um uh, from uh, giving them a bit of audio to promote pod news on it <laughs> so we'll so we'll see how that works if it works then great i will eat my hat uh, after buying one um but um but uh, yeah but i thought it was a nice uh, gimmick uh, and also going on um in the us uh, there's a company called podmatch i think this is really interesting actually it's a platform that matches 
podcast hosts and guests. Quite often when you use those platforms, you find there's lots of abandoned accounts that nobody has really bothered with. Um, there's lots of people that don't respond to any of your emails or anything else. And there are also a lot of spammers on the other side that are desperately trying to use you for podcast, um, you know, uh, promotion and all that kind of stuff. Podmatch has gone through and basically removed pretty well half of their users to focus on the quality users rather than just the quantity of users. Uh, Alex, who works on that uh, product, um, tried this earlier on in the year and got rid of a few of the less than quality users and uh, everybody loved it. Uh, and I think it's a very clever idea, actually, getting rid of all of that, um, getting rid of all of the crap and uh, making sure that uh, your product is only full of the good users who are going to make it better. Yeah, I think uh, it's a great idea. And Dave Jones is doing something similar with the podcast index. He's removing dormant podcasts as well, which is nice. It's cleaning, cleaning that podcast index up. Triton has um, made some changes to their tap advertising platform, which is their podcast advertising platform, basically, um, which allows um, more clever things. So it's um, nice to see Triton uh, still uh, working on that particular uh, platform. Uh, Libsyn's AdvertiseCast has um, increased the amount of cost per thousand that it, it is um, seeing in their platform. Uh, it uh, has uh, jumped 5% year on year. It's up 3.7% month on month. Uh, which is uh, really good. Second highest on record, $24.35. By the way, Acast is getting $22 uh, in terms of their cost per thousand, but also their financial data that they shared yesterday in their Capital Markets Day, whatever that is, um, ended up uh, saying that they sell five ads in each show, which is quite impressive, um, but that um, they only actually sell 28% of their inventory. 28%, which is uh, the best ever that they have sold, but still they're only selling 28%. And I wonder what how that compares to other um, podcast ad sales companies. Be, I'd be fascinated to find out whether 28% is a ludicrously low figure or it's an amazingly high figure. Um, but, you know, ri uh, you know, fascinating figures. If I've read their um, data correctly, it also says that half of their biggest shows aren't monetized at all. They're not actually earning any money out of about half of their biggest shows, which, um, again, is really interesting. The other, the other thing I noticed from the Acast stuff, they are calling themselves the WordPress of podcasting. Hmm. Hmm. Which is... Uh, <laughs> An interesting thing. Do you, do you think that, that um, conveys what they do, the WordPress uh, podcasting? It just made me stop and think, but that's about the only thing it did do. Um, <laughs> no, I think it probably. I, I think it probably kind of fits. You know, it's a set of tools that WordPress is, and blah blah blah. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a, str a strange thing seeing that right mm. at the start. Acast is the WordPress of podcasting. It's better than being the Internet Explorer of podcast apps. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that title may be being given to somebody else very soon. Oh, oh, right. Well, I'm going to crown a new new person with that in a couple of weeks' time, but I'll hold well, off excellent. on that announcement. That's it for this week, James. Uh, before we go, though, um, what's been happening for you in Podland? 
Well, yes. I mean, it's been mostly um, podcast day 24. Um, I've got some uh, radio work on at the moment, which is um, keeping my head busy. Um, but that's been uh, fun. I've been on a couple of podcasts as well. One of them is called Podtastic Audio, uh, which is worth a listen. Uh, you'll find Podtastic Audio in your um, in your favourite podcast app. Um, uh, I talk around um, uh, working in radio and in podcasting, how I came up with the idea of Pod News in the first place, uh, and all of that. And I've just um, had a chat with uh, Simon Owens as well this uh, morning, who is a uh, very good uh, media commentator. He looks very much around um, online media and the economics on that. And I was talking to him about the economics behind how Pod News works, uh, which is something that I've not really spoken to other people about. So that was quite uh, cool to end up doing. Um, so that should be coming out uh, relatively soon. So um, yeah, so that's been good. So you went all the way up to uh, Glasgow to watch um, uh, some red uh, coloured um, uh, football team, sports ball. Um, <laughs> did, did, did the match, did you score more, more hoops than they did? Yes, yes. Clearly, you've got the offside rule down to a T there, James, as they say. Um, no, it was good. <laughs> a little tired, got home for two in the morning uh, and got up the next morning to go and uh, to the podcast publisher event in London, which uh, Chris from Hindenburg and Neil from Headliner were at. So good to see them both. And yeah, it was good to get down there. A little bit tired, uh, probably can tell from my voice today. Um, but yeah, it was well worth going. We met some of the guys from Time Out and Sky and from some of the other big um, publishing companies who are doing podcasting. It's very interesting to see where they are in their thinking currently. Um, they're still looking at how to get discovery and monetization fixed. That's their biggest headache. I suppose that's everyone's big headache, but um, they haven't got big budgets. That was the one thing I uh, picked up from it. They haven't got big budgets to put money towards podcasting yet. Yeah, and I don't think that very many places are going to have particularly large uh, budgets uh, at the moment. So, uh, yeah, yeah, worthwhile keeping an eye on that. Uh, you're not you're not planning anything else exciting, are you? Well, I thought, you know, <laughs> I haven't got much time, so I might as well do something else as well. I'm, I'm really excited, actually. I've, I'm going to be launching another podcast uh, called Off the Mic. Um, Off the Mic? The Off the Mic, yeah. And... Very pleased. It's going to come out in November, so a little way away yet. Um, and the idea is to interview people about what they do when they're not podcasting and what goes on around them and some of the other things that will make it interesting. Hopefully it'll be a little bit fun, a little bit irreverent uh, and just, yeah, just digging behind what the podcasting industry people do. Excellent. Off the mic. Uh, you heard it here first. And uh, we will no doubtless... No one's listened to this bit, James. It's okay. <laughs> we will doubtless do an episode drop uh, as well once it gets uh, a little bit uh, closer. So uh, that's very exciting. Uh, and that's it for this week. If you like this episode of Podland, uh, tell others to visit and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another weekly review. You'll also find all our previous shows and interviews on our website, podland.news. You can give us feedback using a Boostergram. If your podcast app doesn't support Boost, then grab a new one from podnews.net forward slash new podcast apps. Yes, if you want daily news, you should get Pod News, of course. The newsletter's free at podnews.net. You'll find Pod News daily in your podcast app. And all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts too. Our music is from Studio Dragonfly and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends Buzzsprout and Squadcast. 
Keep listening. And now it's time for the second part of our interview with uh, Sky Pillsbury. You and I were chatting before we went live here about our past and our history, about being in the early days of the web and some of the amazing companies that we saw and some that were acquired. One that you had was called Link Exchange. You got acquired by Microsoft. Tell me more. Yeah, being acquired by Microsoft was a wild ride, but it started when I jumped ship from a PR agency that I was working at. I went to Link Exchange, which was at that time a very small company led by Tony Shea, who some of your listeners might be familiar with his work. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years back, but he had started this company called Link Exchange. The idea behind it was very idealistic. This was back in the 90s when advertising on the web was still very much a new thing and even a controversial thing among some people. So Tony and a few other people had founded this company with the idea that they could create an advertising network. It was this idea that if we all band together, we can share advertising on a network and almost like a socialist point of view, like we're not necessarily going to make a ton of money, but, you know, this will have value for all of us. And that was the principle behind it. Eventually, the idea was that they could sell advertising to bigger advertisers who could buy a chunk of that network. And that's how Link Exchange eventually did start to make real money. And in fact, they were in the black pretty quickly because of that strategy. And there were a lot of bigger companies that were interested in acquiring us. And I mentioned to you when we were talking before that Yahoo was one of the first companies that came to us, which was ironic because Yahoo had been my client prior to going to Link Exchange. I had worked with Yahoo on its public relations strategy before, during, after its IPO. I know I'm, I'm dating myself there, but I was really excited about the prospect of being acquired by Yahoo. We all were. Mike Moritz, who was an investor with Sequoia Capital, had invested in both companies, and I had a relationship with him from having worked with Yahoo as well. So this was something that we felt excited about for those reasons, but also because I think our values seemed very much in line with Yahoo's at that time. Instead, that acquisition fell apart. And I was telling you before that I can't quite remember the reason for it. If I went back and reread some of my materials or Tony Shea's book that he wrote, I would remember. But for some reason, it fell apart at the 11th hour. And Microsoft came in and acquired us instead. And I think that while that was still exciting on paper, it felt like we were being acquired by a company that maybe didn't have the same values and principles as we did. It was not a startup at that time, whereas Yahoo was still very much in its startup days. There was, after the acquisition, which was made for a quarter of a billion dollars or so, and so many of the founders made a lot of money, and in fact, everybody made some money. What happened after that acquisition was a lot of bureaucracy that we weren't used to, a lot of having to defend the decisions that we wanted to make. Everything took way longer to get done. And we became part of their small business division, which ultimately is there to make money. And as I said before, we were still in the middle of coming up with creative ideas that we could spin out of the first idea that was behind the ad network. So it just changed. It changed the morale. It changed our priorities as a company. And so what you and I were talking about is that we see some parallels with that, with what's going on today in podcasting. 
You talk about link exchange and immediately I jumped to Lauren Purcell at Tink Media and she's talking about promo swaps and that went straight to my head. Oh, yeah. Wow. And we're suddenly seeing this, hey, why don't we just swap stuff between each other and build up a network and help each other grow? And that was the first thing I thought. And then I looked at Spotify and their acquisition trail and they've got Megaphone, The Ringer, Gimlet, Anchor, Podcast, Podsites, Chartable, Wooshkin, 20 more according to this site. And yet they all seem to have been I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, but they've all seemed to have been lost in the bigger company, which feels what Microsoft did to Link Exchange and many of the other bigger companies did. They used to call it aqua hire, but I don't know if they are aqua hires. I don't know whether we're repeating history mm -hmm. in the podcasting industry. And some of these companies are selling themselves early and maybe too early and not growing into entities themselves but they're taking the money and running to the hills far too fast i don't know but it feels very samey to the time that you and i were looking at the web and early days of the internet yeah it's hard to know without being part of these companies and hearing from those people like what their interpretation of what that acquisition has meant for them from a creative standpoint, from the standpoint of being able to produce new products that are innovative, that kind of a thing. But from the outside, it certainly looks like a number of these companies have been acquired almost in like a performative way, like in terms of when you look at Spotify and the acquisitions that it's made, for me, it almost feels like it made those acquisitions to position itself on the map as a player in podcasting versus making those acquisitions so that they could have the capital and the resources that they need to continue to build some incredible content. Bloomberg wrote that article saying that there haven't been hits in quite a while. I know that there's a lot of people who would disagree with that, but it does feel like we haven't heard as much from like a place like Gimlet in terms of shows and successes as we did prior to its acquisition. We haven't heard as much after the acquisition as we heard prior. It's been relatively quiet. So I think that there is some validity to the idea that, huh, has making all of these acquisitions actually advanced our industry? Or has it just been sort of a line item in a press release for a big company that wants to be seen as suddenly it's a big player in podcasting? I really don't know the answer, but it does feel similar to what I saw happen in the early days of the tech acquisitions of the 90s and even the 2000s. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. We've seen Mike Mignano now leave Spotify after his earnout. He was the CEO of Anchor. Mm -hmm. Anchor, from what James reports, is now losing a number of percentage points in terms of the number of podcasts that it's hosting. So you're seeing it fade into the background. It doesn't have the love of a CEO as an entrepreneur, yeah, as the founder that's right. anymore. It just feels like it's a, a P&L somewhere in a corner that someone's got to deal with that's sort of withering on the vine. And one of my favorite companies that I use for my radio station is Wooshka. But, you know, when I talk to Rob, are you going to be evolving Wooshka further? I don't feel, and I'm not putting words into Rob's mouth, they may well put new features in, but I don't feel that anything new is coming out of that post-acquisition. So, again, what did Anchor bring to Spotify? What's Wooshka brought to Megaphone? Gimlet, we talked about. Where's the content? We shouldn't just pick on Spotify. I think other companies like Amazon's acquired companies mm. and what has happened to those companies other than the parallels that we seem to be drawing where do you think the industry may go forward then is it just going to be a continuous case of acquisition and acquire 
Yeah, it's interesting. I actually wonder whether what we're seeing in the market could ironically be good for the industry. Not to say that those acquisitions happening and those people being subsumed and some leaving, none of that is good. But I guess what I do wonder is what this provides is an opportunity for a new layer of Mm -hmm. innovative companies you know, that are independently run, who have been able to watch what's happened to these other companies who've been acquired and maybe have the benefit of seeing what's happened to those companies and whether or not those companies have been able to reap the benefits of an acquisition, that maybe there will be a new batch of independent companies that are fiercely independent that will, you know, have an opportunity to actually come up with the next level of whatever the innovation is in this industry. So, I don't want to be misunderstood. Like, I'm not saying those acquisitions were necessarily a good thing, but I do think that it could provide an opportunity for entrepreneurs and podcasters out there to create new content that does advance the industry. I think it was known as the PayPal mafia. All the guys who earned out on PayPal set up different companies, Elon Musk being one of those. Wait, I do want to just respond to that really quickly. I also wanted to say that And I don't think that you were necessarily saying this, but in my previous comment, I didn't mean necessarily that the entrepreneurs who had left would necessarily be that next layer, although I'm sure that they will obviously be part of it because so many of them have left and they're entrepreneurs and they're going to start something new. But I guess what I meant was for the rest of us in this industry, there are so many of us who haven't even had that chance. And in one of my issues of the squeeze, I pointed out that so many of the people who have been acquired by these companies are your sort of typical, I mean, I hate to say it, but white male who probably already had some amount of capital, started these companies, made more money. And certainly those guys will continue to start new companies. But I also think that hopefully there's an opportunity in this industry for people who haven't been recognized as producing something that could be worthy. Maybe those companies will be taken a little more seriously now. And And other people with different points of view who come from different backgrounds, who are serving maybe a completely different type of audience will have the opportunity to be rewarded for their work. So I just wanted to point that out, that I hope that this provides a new sector of our industry with an opportunity. I agree. I was actually going to go on to say something very similar as a question to you, which is, Podcasting gives nearly everybody a chance to have a voice. Whether you've got two people listening to you or you've got 20 million people listening to you, it doesn't really matter. You you find your tribe. Do you think that podcasting has been, in terms of its gender balance, good for the female sector? Do you think women have adopted to podcasting in the way that you would have expected? Or is it still an imbalance? There's no doubt that there's an imbalance. Going back to the issue that I just mentioned of the squeeze, there were almost zero female founders of any of these companies that have been acquired. So I did an issue where I looked at the companies who have done the most acquisitions within the industry. And I'm not going to remember all of them right here, but it was like iHeart, Spotify, 
Odyssey, Amazon, and there was one more that I'm forgetting. And I looked at all of the acquisitions that they had made. And I presented it in a visual format. So I went and I got like the headshot <laughs> of all the people oh, yes, who had been acquired. Yes. And in some cases, what those companies' headshots looked like, what their management teams looked like. And it was overwhelmingly white and male. There were almost no women. I remember that, oh, Apple, Apple, how could I forget Apple? Apple had made two small acquisitions. And actually, both of those acquisitions were companies that had been founded by women. They were white women, but they were women. And I'm trying to remember if there was any other company. And I'm not sure that there was a single other company and people should look at that issue. I'm not looking at it now. So I don't want to pretend that this is totally accurate, but I'm pretty sure that there weren't any other companies that have been founded by women. So you can just look at that and say, well, there's a clear imbalance. This is a problem in many industries and worldwide that women are just not recognized as having the same level of value to someone who's making an acquisition. For whatever reason, when you look at that issue, you can see that there is an imbalance. On the other hand, there's opportunity, as we've discussed already. There is an opportunity for people in podcasting that you couldn't necessarily see in a different medium like television, where the gatekeeping is so much more strict. So it's a mix, right? There's an imbalance. There's also an opportunity. I'm not disagreeing with what you say, but look at Wondery. There's Jen Sargent who runs Wondery. Mm -hmm. When I think of women in podcasting, I think of Erin Nissenblatt. I think of Lauren Purcell. I think of Elsie Escobar. Mm -hmm. There's some strong voices for sure. in this industry. And so I often say to my wife when she's gone for senior positions that the, the difference between men and women is men go for a position when they're underqualified and have the chutzpah to front it out as if they can... I'll run this. Of course I can do uh, this. Not a problem uh -huh. at all. Whereas women will wait until they are overqualified, could run it in their sleep and probably do 10 other jobs. And is that the reason why so many men take on the entrepreneurial role of running companies? Because it is fake it until you make it a lot. There is that horrible expression, but often you have to put on that front. Oh yeah, everything's great. We're growing. It's brilliant. We're doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder whether it's a case of that difference between men and women is the reason why we don't see as many female entrepreneurs in the industry as we should. So I see what you're saying and I'm sure that element exists. But if we run with that, right, then we're essentially saying that women aren't stepping up because they don't have enough confidence. So what I would say, and I'm not saying that's not true. I agree that I think that women probably are more likely than men to hold back, right? And to not necessarily have this fake sense of like, I can do it. This like somewhat psychotic mm -hmm. sense that a lot of entrepreneurs have yep. to take to feel like they can run something like that. I agree with that. But I also think that those women do exist and that sometimes despite their assertiveness in trying to be that person, they're not necessarily given the same amount of trust that a man would be given. So I think what you have is a theory, but I think that if people were more intentional about finding women 
who are running companies that they could acquire or whose network they could become a part of. I think so much of it is about intention and whether or not we are intentional about finding the people out there who are marginalized or in some way, whether or not they're women or people of color or LGBTQ, whatever. We don't have it in our mindset necessarily to find those people and either give them our money or make it more possible for them to be successful because the white guy comes along and we just assume that, well, this is the guy who's come to me. So this is the guy I got to give my money to. What I guess strikes me just a little bit about the theory is that it blames the women for not being successful. No, no. I'm not saying that you were. I'm not saying that you were. But I am saying that it's part of that attitude of, well, women don't really go for it, that helped justify an industry where we have so many men and mostly... I would say almost entirely, at least from that issue that I mentioned, white men, it was like 98% running these companies. And then if we were more intentional, if we said, you know what, maybe that theory is wrong and those women exist. And maybe not. This is a theory, too. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if we went out and tried to find those women, but they don't exist because they haven't stepped up. But we don't actually 100% know. And I worry that theory is older thinking. Because as you said, there's Jen Sargent running Wondery. They exist out there. Well, I'll give you another example. Melanie Perkins at Canva. She's yeah. worth $26 billion. Yeah. She created Canva. You could argue people of color would have had similar barriers. White men used to run big companies. You look at Microsoft, Google, Adobe, Pepsi. The list goes yeah. on. Predominantly male Indian men, but I think at Pepsi it's an Indian female. Cisco, another example. So I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe there is a second generation. Going back to our point, maybe these early acquisitions will remove out the early white male men <laughs> and leave space for females and people of colour to come in and fill that vacuum. I guess I hope that just the awareness that those people do exist and that they are out there can help change some minds. And that's coming sort of full circle back to the squeeze and why I started the squeeze was, do I think that putting that issue out there, the issue that I mentioned, do I think people are going to read that and be like, Bob Pittman, the head of iHeart, all of a sudden going to be like, dude, we got to acquire some companies that have more diversity at the top. Like, no, I don't think that's going to change anything. But I do think that it's important to repeatedly point these things out. Change is slow. Change doesn't happen overnight. So the reason that I'm writing the squeeze is to be that thorn in the side of this industry. Yes, we can cheer ourselves on. There are things that we're doing that are different. We have been successful in lots of ways, but we are still repeating some of our old mistakes. And part of that is that we have a lot of legacy companies moving into this industry who come from that old sort of thinking. But we also have companies that are being founded by people like Misha Youssef, who started Dustlight, where she has a completely different point of view on what is possible and and how to treat your employees and what kinds of shows to make. And my hope is that by highlighting those kinds of people and those kinds of companies and showing and contrasting that with some of the shitty stuff that's going on, just having it as a moment in their brain when they're hiring someone, when they're bringing on a new show, when they're acquiring a company, that maybe we should be thinking about this a little bit differently. And again, I think that there are a lot of factors that impact the decisions that people make. But I think that my hope is that the industry can 
open up a little bit more to new kinds of thinking. And that's what I hope the squeeze can help advance. Sky Pillsbury, thank you so much. Where can everyone go and subscribe to The Squeeze? Well, they can go directly to the Substack page, which is at, this is terrible, I always forget. I should know this if I want to promote my own work. This is the squeeze.substack.com. <laughs> thank you. Or they can find me on Twitter. I'm just Sky Pillsbury on Twitter, and the link is right there on my profile page. <laughs> Excellent. Sky, lovely to have met you. And uh, yeah, keep writing because you need to open and shine a light on the different elements of our industry. We don't want to repeat the mistakes of Web 1.0, do we? That's right. We definitely don't. We all lived through it and let's do it differently this time.